0: Welcome back to Find the Outside the Podcast. We are very excited today to be interviewing another duo, folks who are working across race and across gender and making change in the world. You know, like this is what we're about. So we're so excited to have Alex Snyder and Natalie Williams with us today. They're going to tell you a little bit more about them, but just to kind of kick us off, I'll say that Alex is a senior manager on the Justice Labs Youth Justice Initiatives team at Columbia University. And when we first spoke to him, he started talking about youth justice in a way that I was like, what? Oh my gosh. And so we just thought we have to have him on. And we've also met with people on his team. Natalie Williams believes that all people should have the opportunity to live their best life. And as the director of the Wellbeing Blueprint. Natalie focuses on driving transformative change by centering communities, voice and empowerment. And we are very excited to hear what Natalie's up to because she just told us that she only has three more days at the wellbeing blueprint. So change is on friends. Lots is happening with these two folks. And we want to talk more about that.
1: It's a scoop. You heard it first on Find the Outside, the podcast. That's right. And then also, Alex has just come off a three-day conference. He was involved in organizing, but also participating in. From So we've got, we've got things to talk about straight away. Welcome, you two. It's so good to have you with us. Thanks for coming on. I think rather than us introducing you, we should give you a chance to introduce yourselves. How would you like to introduce yourselves into the, into the pod today?
2: So hello, everybody. So happy to be with you here today. And thank you to Find the Outside for allowing us the opportunity to to share and explore some ideas and talk about our, our partnership. My name is Natalie Williams, as you know, and my introduction is really as A woman who is a mom, who is African-American, who uh, lives in the South in Texas, and who has been an advocate for change, I feel like, my entire life. I love this idea of building a country where everyone has a fair shot at well-being, because from my background... And from growing up, it was a hard fight to get there. And so super excited to really explore with the audience today what some of that means and how people can engage in that process um, so that all of us can benefit across race and place and gender in our country and um, in our world. And I'll
0: hand it to Alex. Love it. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Natalie. I'm Alex Schneider. I work at the Columbia Justice Lab. I'm on our Youth Justice Initiatives team. So the Justice Lab uh, is a center within Columbia, very much sort of its, its own, almost nonprofit within Columbia's sphere, and occupies this sort of space somewhere in between advocacy and research and advising, um, not one or the other, but we have various projects that do little bits of each. And the lab, just in... Uh, as a whole, really envisions working towards a community-centered future for justice, where we're talking about healing and resiliency for people instead of punishment and surveillance and the status quo of what we sort of know as justice in the United States right now, And, and working towards that to solve the social problems that we know are rooted in racial and economic inequity. Uh, and then sort of starting from that point. So that's what the Justice Lab does. Our Youth Justice Initiatives focuses specifically on uh, ending the use of youth prisons, uh, of putting kids under 18 into prison-like facilities, jails, prisons, and instead, right, investing in communities, investing in the communities and the people and the families that are impacted by the justice system currently and giving the power and resources and, and the decision-making to those people and to the young people in their communities. So so that's sort of what we do generally, and I'm sure we'll talk more about what we've been
1: up to And how do the two of you collide? Like, where do you work together? Like, there's a partnership here, and you've spoken kind of like about your streams, but like, what, where's the confluence?
2: So... I have the privilege of working alongside Alex as we really work to collaborate in um, our advocacies to build this country where everyone has a fair shot at well-being. So the Well-Being Blueprint is a movement, it's a community, it's a resource and a tool that really showcases communities and organizations across the country how this can actually happen through multiple ways. And Alex, as an advocate for social change through youth justice, is leaning into that space around defining well-being in the youth justice uh, arena and what it means to youth in the system and their families. And that's it's a really powerful example of how uh, Columbia Justice Labs and um, their leadership and their leaders in their organization are looking to drive this change through a well-being lens?
3: Yeah. So we have a group uh, that we call youth correctional leaders for justice, folks who have run correction systems like government agencies that that oversee the the placement and facilities where, where young people are if they come into co- contact with the criminal legal system. So we have this group of folks who have done that across the country, and a few of them got involved. Uh, through the full frame initiative in, t- in the well-being blueprint. And that's how I heard about it and then became a signer on the well-being blueprint because, as Natalie said, in our quest for, for better youth justice, what we've come to realize is that we need to look to communities and to all of the things that aren't in the justice system right now. If we want to replace what we have currently as a justice system, we need to look to what else there is whether that's health whether that's you know public health or physical health or education systems or everything under the sun right all of the social justice and so the well-being blueprint is a way where i've found to move beyond our little silo of criminal justice and connect with Natalie and with all of these other signers who are coming from other perspectives. And that way, as folks are like, okay, you want to change youth justice, but what are you doing instead? Now I have the answers, right? Now now I, I say, well, these folks are doing this and and we can emulate that, or this is what kids really need when they're in their communities. And so that's where we've sort of found this, um, this, this amazing way to work together.
2: And I, I think the thing is, the well being blueprint is issue agnostic, meaning that we don't focus on any one area, but we focus on specifically this broad idea. Of reimagining reimagining a country where everyone has a fair shot at well-being. And big pieces of that are the justice system, both for adults and youth, or the housing, um, housing justice, our food justice, economic and social mobility justice. So all of those spaces coming together, as Alex said, collectively working to reimagine these systems and reimagine how we support communities and center them in this work. Um, and so it's just a really it's a g- really great movement
0: well you know i wanna i want to ask because we, you've now i think both maybe use that word reimagine i want to ask you about that but first i actually want to ask you about well-being when you say well-being uh, uh, i'm not asking for a definition i almost want to ask you what are you discovering about well-being what is surprising you about well-being what are the ways you're thinking about well-being in a way that maybe you didn't last year? I just kind of like, how is your own understanding of well-being evolving as you use that term?
2: Well, for me, um, prior to my role at Full Frame Initiative as the director of the Well-Being Blueprint, I thought a lot about well-being as mental health and physical health, like thinking about Zen and Yoga and relaxation and taking care of taking care of myself or people in my community experiencing well-being. And what I came to realize is that there's multiple ways that well-being shows up for people. And Full Frame Initiative has done a really good job um, in defining those in ways that really advance. And showcase that it's something that we're all working towards. And so we look at well being, and I know we don't want a definition, but it, it helps to kind of break it down for people and give a broader perspective of what well being could look like that all of us are moving towards. One of those is this area of social connectedness, the degree in which we all uh, connect or we have the ability to connect with each other. It's this concept of stability and then how we need stable situations that we can expect to be consistent for us. One thing is not going to create a catastrophe in our life um, on a continual basis, that there will be some balance daily or weekly or monthly for us, this idea of safety, and that we can um, really be safe. And and for some communities of color, we've been talking about safety in the sense of policing, like our physical attributes, our racial and ethnic attributes are not going to put us at harm simply because of those, but we have the ability to be safe. And then mastery, what we put in is what we get out. So this idea that if we put in the effort and the time, there's a correlation to that, to outcomes and effort. And then really also looking at, for a lot of people, meaningful access to relevant resources. And when we say meaningful, we're not saying just transactional stuff, but things that actually mean something to us that are valuable to us in the way that we see it. And those relevant resources can be anything from housing to food to relationships, but it's the ability to have access to those meaningful resources. And so that's That has broadened my view around what well-being is and what it has shown me is everything that I've worked for in my entire life or I look for for my kids fits along that spectrum. It's something that we're all driving towards, no matter race or place in society.
0: That's great. Thank you. That's really helpful. That's both really helpful and and, and kind of, I can feel it as an overarching framework to understand kind of justice or equity work even, And, and a bigger tent, frankly too to understanding that work. Alex, what do you got? What do you what have you learned about well-being? What's kind of like shifting for you in that?
3: I mean I think that, that, that that's it. And and you hit it on the head, right, in, in in saying that it creates this bigger tent. And and right, I think of it as a more holistic way to think about the the solution and the answer and what what has been missing for so many People in the United States, right? And communities of color um, and BIPOC people have been missing this well being, right? And we talk about that in a lot of different ways, but I think often, again, we get into sort of silos or lanes where we're talking about, oh, there's this health equity crisis and it's because of white supremacy and historical racism and all of these things. And Talking about well-being, for me personally, has allowed me to connect all of those dots, that it's not just looking at the connections between health or education or housing or justice and criminal justice responses, but it's seeing it as as that totality. And that if we're not, in all of those ways, if we're not allowing people to have well-being and to access that... Then we're
1: known. Mm. How much do the two of you find yourself having these conversations with each other as people? You know, because there's the conversations we can have about society, or the or the the kind of larger macro contexts that we're in. You know, and I think one of the things I found in my working relationship with Tuesday's, we're often working on very big picture questions or very large transformational. Processes or efforts, if you like. But a lot of what comes up in those efforts are things that we've been talking about in our friendship, you know, when we're talking about race and we're talking about class and we're talking about gender and or distribution of wealth or power. I mean, those are things that just by the nature of being friends, we've had to talk about, you know. And so I just wonder how much of what you're talking about is also just part of your working relationship or part of your friendship or, yeah. So I'm just curious to,
3: yeah. Well, I I will say that we do not. Natalie and I do not get enough time to not work together, to (laughs) to hang out, being in different places, and you know, most most of our time together is spent on well being calls and on you know discussing the work. So, first of all, I wish we did have more time to 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 do that. But at the same time, I think that it does. I think that one of the things I appreciate about the well-being blueprint and and the signers calls that we have, as well as my work separate from that at the Justice Lab, is a focus on the people who are there, their own well-being at least within the work settings, and sort of how we interact. And there's a very concerted effort in the work that I do with my colleagues and then again on on the well-being blueprint calls for people to be able to bring them their full selves into those spaces and to start calls and, and Natalie I'd love to for you to talk more about how you do this because you're an amazing amazing facilitator and one of the things that I appreciate most about Natalie is the ability to connect with people so well and to uh, make them feel comfortable and Open to bringing themselves into spaces. And when you start from that point and create that type of atmosphere, even if it is just working, then that's where the well being comes in, right? You're allowed to have being in those spaces. But Natalie, you can talk more about sort of how you do that, at least on the calls.
2: Oh, Alex, that's super kind. I so appreciate that. Really, for me, having the privilege of working with leaders um, both in community and organizations across the country has been such a gift. And so searching for opportunities for people to really showcase their individual gifts and their voice in this movement has been priority for me. So stripping away titles and stripping away individual platforms, to be able to build this broader collective group of voices that is so necessary right now and in the future to build a better space for, for our children and our children's children. And so for me, it is, it is really listening to people. Like it, at the end of the day, it's listening and hearing people and understanding that we all want to feel heard and valued, that we don't want to necessarily always lead with our titles or with you know what we're completely like never going to move away from. But the opportunity to learn and to grow collectively has been a really amazing space in this well-being blueprint. The other piece is the surprise that people are so disconnected in this digital world. So as we have Facebook and we have LinkedIn and we have all these other platforms that we use to connect with people, walking in this space and realizing somebody in New York doesn't understand who's doing the same stuff, what's happening in LA for the people that are doing the exact same movement? And that we're not working collectively across cities or states to really benefit from each other's work. So it was the opportunity to show people, like, how can we work smarter in this adventure of building this new country where everyone has a fair shot at well-being? And the excitement that people feel when, A, they feel heard and valued, and B, they're connected to a larger movement and a larger body of people that have similar values and similar goals and visions. Mm -hmm. for what we are capable of in our country.
0: So Natalie, that makes me really curious. I want to kind of drill down a little bit because I have had the same, uh, much less, but the same experience of Alex, of you, as being a person who really does connect people, who really actually, like, there's something about your manner and your willingness to kind of connect that seems quite exceptional. And I'm curious two things. How do you do that in meetings? Like Alex mentioned, like people come to meetings and you facilitate their, their well being. And so I'm curious if you have anything that you, you know that you do or that you're intentionally doing. And then the other question for me is like, and how do you come by that? Like, is that just a natural piece of you? Is it part of your training? Is it part of your family and lineage? I'm just really curious, this warmth and ability to connect that you bring, what you might tell us more about that.
2: Oh, and I am so like, I just am like, I don't even know how to answer that. You know, a lot of it may be natural as far as just, I love people and I love this idea that we have the ability to make change where everyone feels valued and honored. And I really believe that we're capable of that in our society. And so my goal is that whoever I engage with, that I inspire the leader within them and help them see the light that they can bring to the world. And selfishly, I do it because I have two amazing children that I am intentful on leaving a better space for them. Um, and so for me, it's it's a very deep desire that some of the things that I've gone through or that people I know have gone through in the world, that that shifts in this new world that we're creating that's full of brilliance and technology and innovation, that some of these old school, old ways of being that don't serve everybody, that those should go away, that we should focus on the idea that we can all thrive. Um, And so for me, it's, it's a privilege to be able to do that with this end goal of how far can we really take this if we all lean into this work? And the fact that all of us need to know there's no ideal, there's no perfection. There's no good, bad, right, or wrong if we work collectively to move things together. So that has really been a gift that has been shared with me. I don't, haven't done any training on it, but I've always been around really great leaders who give that space and that, that light back to me. And so it's, it's this process.
0: Wonderful. Thank you.
1: Thank you. How do the two of you experience the ideology that you're bringing and the shift in narrative that you want to bring, right? In a world where the dominant narrative is not the same, you know, where so much of what is taking place in our communities is increasing trauma, you know, is uh, driving fragmentation, is a dominant political narrative of polarization and debate where someone wins or loses as opposed to a kind of the collective conversation you're talking about where something is surfaced that none of us own but we all feel part of right and so like how do you find yourself i mean even hearing you talk in the beginning alex you know it feels so radical to me no fucking prisons (laughs) done Thank you very much. Yes. You know, and I've spent my life, that's how I got into this work, was doing youth work, you know, and I want to leap out of my chair and start dancing when I hear you say things like that, you know. But there's something about the two of you that's like so fundamentally progressive, so fundamentally countercultural, you know, in the way that you're both talking. Like, How do you find yourselves meeting the kind of dominant culture, the dominant reality? Because you can't just ignore it right? In the naive hope that everything's going to get better. Like, how do you navigate that? How do you strategize for that? Alex, why don't you kick
3: us off? But I'd just love to hear both of you talk a bit more about that. I think part of it, and I hope not all of it, is being in a small bubble, right? Like I, I find myself, and, and I think in, in this work sometimes, it's easier to do the work and easier to move forward because I'm surrounded by people at work and surround myself with folks like Natalie. And so I'm not constantly bombarded with that. Uh and even when we're talking about it, you know, it's it's a little bit removed, not not in your face. And I'm not doing political work on the hill where I have to, you know, right. this face to face all the time. But with that said, we are always up against it. At the at the Justice Lab and on and our youth justice initiatives team, we have folks who are working with particular jurisdictions and sites around the country, who are struggling with some element of this vision that we've, we've set forward of moving things away from incarceration of young people and punishment towards having them in their communities, families, homes, um, and taken care of. And they're struggling with some part of that, whether it's they're on board but they've got this giant building they need to close and there's money and unions and people wrapped up in that and they don't know how to do it or it's they're not even there yet and they think well we there are some kids who we need to absolutely punish because they've done xyz right so so we do confront those folks who are struggling with that and i think that back to well-being i think that there is a a baseline that we can always come back to of, well, we know what works for young people or for people in general to give them well-being. And what would you do for your child, for your kid, Mm. for your neighbor, Mm. if this situation happened in order to improve their well-being? And we know that putting them in a cage, driving them three hours out of the city and locking them up behind bars and then releasing them a year later back to the, that community makes everything worse. And so I think that as we explain-
1: The data that, is in. <laughs> right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Right? So, so if we can get to that base of like, well, it, right? What, what works for well-being, Then we can, we can start from there. There's a starting point for those conversations and for addressing and for confronting those dominant narratives and the, the ideology and the, you know, media sensationalism about rising crime and, and kids in in cities right now, when we get back to that, that sort of base.
1: Wonderful. Thank you.
2: So one of the things that I have also learned in this space is that we sensationalize things that are happening on the negative end, which is communities are, you know, there's not enough food, there's not enough money, there's not, there's a ton of violence. We don't balance that often with what's working well. And so in the Blueprint community, we are well-versed and first saying, what's working well? What innovations are coming out of that community in the hopes that people will say, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. We need to fund that. We need to resource that. We need to amplify that. Because the other sometimes, although reality becomes a huge distractor and we get distracted from the true mission of what we're trying to do. Um, And so one of the ways to keep for lack of a better word, the dream alive of this change is to keep amplifying the great work that community is doing, whether it be small individuals in the community, you know, small-scale small change or large-scale change and massive community movements, focusing on the great pieces of that body of work or those bodies of work and being able to say, and look how impactful it is if we just draw a line to resourcing that to amplify that work or to help bridge a gap where there where there is a barrier, then I think that's what helps keep me centered on. I know all this noise. We know that this is happening in the background, that you know, drugs and crime and lack of, of quality education, and yet we know that communities still are thriving in their own way maybe not to societal standards, but that if we actually paid attention to what was going well, that that would be a game changer as well. So it's it's kind of selective attention, I would say.
3: We just, we just came from, uh, I'm sorry, i sorry, I just came from a conference that we were hosting in Philadelphia for our, our these folks, youth correctional leaders for justice, who ran systems and are now trying to change them. And we try to center youth and community voice in those conversations as much as we can, knowing that we, we can't always and that it's you know it's a struggle, but we, we try to. And we had one young person who was on a panel uh, and, and speaking to this group and said that they they were told and heard in the news and constantly heard from the media that their neighborhood, this person's particular neighborhood, was dangerous and impoverished and terrible. And they said, that's not what I see. When I walk out my door, that's not what I see. I see young people at a community center doing cool things. I see art. I see my friends and family, right? And so there's also an amount of perspective that we can get from, from people to what Natalie's saying. Mm-hmm.
1: Love it. Thank you.
0: I just love what you've both said because it interrupts this idea of people just stay in their bubbles, right? Like actually people can respond to their experience, which is real. You know, like what that young person was saying is just as real as anything on the news. It's just as real. And so we are influenced by a man named David Cooper writer who says, what you pay attention to grows, right? And so that if we can begin to pay attention, you know, sometimes I kind of wonder, Tim and I were actually just having this conversation. I was like, if I look around, like I'm around great people all the time working to change this world. That That is my daily life. That is I That is true. And so sometimes I watch the news and I'm like, I actually wonder, like, is the news real? I mean, I know, like, part of it can be factual, but part of me also wonders, like, how real it is and, like, this idea of creating our own reality, right? Um, and last time we all talked, you know, we talked about this idea, you know, my friend Deanna Van Buren, who's into kind of, you, right? So she's an architect who works on creating community spaces. You know, she talks about us living in other in, in other people's imagination, right? They imagine these prison systems, right? And that's what we're living in now. So we could actually choose to imagine something different, right? And so I would love to hear you all talk about the the role of imagining or reimagining in your work and how you're seeing it and how you're using it. Because that feels so evocative to me. Like we just have the choice to reimagine.
2: We often put it in the context of, so having been in systems pretty much all of my career from the inside we had huge goals of change and impact. And we had lots of access to data around disparities and and multiple compounding oppressions for certain zip codes and communities. And our heart was in the right place. I mean, we, we strove to do really great work. Walking away from that, and this was years ago, I think things are evolving now. What we were doing was simply retooling what we had been doing. So, putting a different face on it, you know, a different voice, but it was the same dialogue, the same process at its root and at its core. So, my idea, and then I, I want to hand it to Alex because he's at the top of the game reimagining something that is so contentious in our country, which is criminal justice reform and justice reform. But it's this idea of What if we just started from scratch and we were like, look, let's figure out real root cause. Let's figure out what the what the pipeline of this is. Like, how is it and who's benefiting and naming who's benefiting the financial benefit and the power benefit and the voting benefit? Like, let's name those things. So that we know that those are contributing factors to keeping systems the same where, where we're just retooling. And so it's the idea that we can completely look at something and say, let's build it from the ground up now in how the community wants to see it. So, again, it's reimagining and helping support community voice and building what works for them. In this idea of transformation, and so Alex, just would love to hear your thoughts on how you're doing this because you're you're an incredible architect in this reimagining a new space and a new world for young people.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, it, it, I think it's not me or my imagination, and and I want to put forth, and I think that that at the Justice Lab we are a convener and a place where we can lift up others' voices, right? And so uh, in doing this work, I don't want it to be my imagination, right? It's not me imagining these things. I want to hear from everyone else and and for it to be a, a more collective imagination, but also the folks who who haven't had that opportunity, right, in communities and especially young people for me, but but also just communities as a whole that have been impacted and, and oppressed by the criminal justice system and and by the United States in general. And what can they imagine? We have a project that I, I don't work on, but parallel to at the Justice Lab called the Square One Justice Project. And it's it's exactly that. It's going back to square one, to the basics. If there was no justice system in the United States somehow, and we were creating it from scratch what would that look like? What does that mean? And convening, you know, experts and, and academics and people who have been thinking about this and working on this, but also opening that up to public discourse and talking to, to folks in a particular community about, you know, what that would look like. And that goes back to definitions of things. What does it justice even mean? What does accountability mean? What is violence? Uh, what is crime, right? All of these things. How can we go back and and reimagine all of that stuff um, and and think about what it really means and then start from there. How do we build from there and put resources into doing that? And the other thing it's making me think of is just language, right? And, And as I said, right, if we redefine all of these things, but that makes me realize everything that we do, we need to think about the way that we're talking about it and the words we're using and we get stuck in you know, as we talk about reform, then all of a sudden folks are thinking, well, it's not transformation or reimagining, it's reform or it's retooling. Um, and so we've tried to think about how can we use language that brings people to back to this sort of square one and back to being able to, okay, we're not just retooling, we're not just reimagining, we want to do something totally different. And that's where, for me and my project, transformation has come in. Um, and that has allowed that conversation, at least with system leaders, to, to say, oh, we don't need to reform our system. We need to transform it in a, in a totally different way.
1: All right, you two. So I feel like you're, you're part of a movement or you're building a movement or you're whatever you're doing is somehow movement based you know what I mean? Like there's, and it's probably not even a movement you created. It's just like, you're, you're just, you're just one of the many parts of that movement that are knitting itself together. So it becomes a movement, you know, and, and all of that stuff. But I I just can't help asking you like, all right. So like, if you were to take all the trends you're seeing in your movement right now, and you were to just like, give yourselves five years, give yourselves 10 years, give yourselves 10 years into the future. What's the scenario that you see? You know, if you were, do you know what I mean? Because if I look at the news and I go ten years into the future, like it's not a happy picture. It's pretty fucking dark. Do you know what I mean? And so I, I kind of want to hear what your scenario is, like what you feel that this movement that you're part of is giving birth to. That, and I don't know how you just. De- part of me wants me to describe what it feels like walking out of your door. That's different. You know what I mean? Like, like, but like, what, what, what do you see? Like, what, what is it that you feel? You know when when you kick back sometimes and you imagine what the future could be like, how does the picture paint itself? Or do you never go there? Like I, I don't know. I just wanted to hear you talk about what you see this.
3: What's emerging here? What are we giving birth to right now? <laughs> you have to go there, right? And, and thank and you. There's a balance. And, and well, I'll get to that, but but I think I do, you know, walking out my front door in New York City, I live in midtown Manhattan and I walk outside and I see what's going on. Right. And and I have to think about and imagine what I actually am working towards and what I want the future to be. And for me, it's, it's a long term goal and it's lofty in seeing someone who's on the street in New York and struggling and knowing that what I'm working towards and what I want for them comes before they were even born. It, it, it's going back to, right, I want that person to have had the opportunity to access well-being, to have had a home where they were supported and the resources and they had food and then shelter and, and their their parents or whoever their guardians were had access to all of those things to be able to take care of them so that they weren't then on the street. And we see that in affluent white communities where a child who, you know, even if they have struggles with mental health or physical health, the resources are there to support them so that they can thrive as much as possible. And that's what I want to see for everyone. And we're, what we need to figure out is what the next step is to get there. Right. And so it's, it's, it's balancing that. Yes, I know that vision. I see that vision and, and I think we can get there and seeing young people Protest and and work on these issues and and become involved is hugely hopeful and I think we can get there in many ways, but it's also figuring out okay we're not there yet so what's the next step what what can we do in the interim, how can we do one little piece that's going to get us there?
1: Nice, I love it how you were both simultaneously visionary and pragmatic there, Alex. That was very nice. Thanks, mate. Natalie, how about you?
2: So um I really see that this next space and where we're all moving is that we will have, and this is maybe opposite than a lot of people see or feel, but we'll have greater access to belonging. And so... Utilizing all of the pressure that we have on the environment, all of the pressure that we have with violence, all of the pressure that we have around social and economic mobility, all of the pressure that we have around access to education. I really see that this next generation and the generation after them, because they're so globally minded from the beginning, that they will be driving towards a future of belonging. And and it's everywhere I go and I see whether it is kids with ADHD or it's people with um, with cancer or if it is people that are dealing with homelessness or incarceration, like all of those things coming together and people having to dig deep and say, what matters most? How do I feel about this? How am I engaging right now? I think we're burrowing into our own separate communities. Like we're, you know, I live in, in North Houston and people are very focused on where they are connected politically. What party do they support? What, what do they see as the future of this state? I know people in California do the same thing or in New York do the same thing. But I think with this next generation, it's going to be so much broader that people are going to say, like, this all is our playing field. Like, this is our whole world. And I think that will drive organizations of belonging because you won't be able to retain employees unless people feel like they belong. It will drive schools to start looking at how do we engage young people in a culture of belonging. The violence that we see on TV popping off today is there's a lot of missed cues where people aren't plugged in and nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows what's going on. And so it's very costly right now. We're seeing, we're paying the costs of that. And I think once people recognize how, the importance of creating cultures of belonging, they will start putting time and energy into that because they'll realize that the return is so great in that space. So I see that in the future, as long as we all continue to kind of unearth what that means and speak up for it. And I don't think it is, it has to be anything that's rocket science. I think it's us just connecting like you all are doing on this amazing podcast and highlighting, voices and leaders that are doing this work, that it will spur a moment of thinking for somebody else that says, hey, I can play in that game. I can engage in that. I can create an organization of belonging. I can speak up for that for this person. And I think that's what we'll start to see things transform. I don't think that things are bleak. I think we're onto something really great and we just need to keep our eyes focused on the goal.
0: Yeah, I just really appreciate both of those answers so much. It's like quite different but really aligned. It feels like maybe leaving on your vision in 10 years or what you imagine could be a, could be a place to to begin to end today. But of course, we we warned you that we would ask you if there's something that kind of Natalie you just said I don't feel bleak, right? And so we wanted to ask you both like is there a quote, a song lyric a line of poetry, uh, something in your life that's kind of keeping you going right now. Like you kind of like fall back to that, and and those words kind of keep you moving forward. And we'd love to hear them from you if you have them.
3: Back pocket wisdom. Yeah. So I don't think we we talked about this on the actual podcast, and but we've tried to do this podcast a few times now. Right. And to- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's, that's true. Right.
1: The listeners right. don't know how many times we've attempted to make this podcast happen. <laughs>
3: it's true multiple times various things and technical difficulties and uh and scheduling uh we're we're finally here but so i have this i have this hilarious running list in my notes of whatever my answer to this question was at that time and then when we tried to do this again i i did a new one and then i just Um, (laughs) i'm like no not that one anymore not that one um But, uh, you know, serendipity. And so what I have in my back pocket as a quote today is actually just from yesterday and this conference that we were hosting and and that we were at. And a young person, uh, Bree Stoves, who is part of a youth-led campaign in Pennsylvania. It's called the Care Not Control Campaign uh, to End Incarceration of Young People in Pennsylvania and they're doing advocacy work and Bree Stoves is created a song and they actually did a whole album for this movement of songs and it's it's amazing and Bree performed yesterday their song called untold story and so and the the chorus and the quote that that is with me right now is i'm an untold story got to tell it first or they're gonna tell it for me
0: oh wow and
3: that's that youth voice that that i'm want to always uplift and bring in and that really sums it up right like like that this is their story and they need to be the ones to tell it and as we talk about media and narratives right people are going to try to tell that story for other people and so that's that's what's with me today
2: i love that alex that's that's amazing Um, I'm going to have to check out that album. (laughs) So one of the quotes that I have hanging in my office is, it always seems impossible until it's done by Nelson Mandela. And that inspires me that we all feel trepidation or uncertainty or fatigue as we're working through this process. But there's so many amazing things that have happened throughout time and history in our world. And thinking about it that way allows us all to be like, hey, let me take one more step.
0: Mm. Let
2: me do one more thing. Let me say one more thing. Let me engage one more way. Let me love somebody a little bit more. Let me mm. lift somebody up a little bit higher. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, it's, it exists. Like this is real. We're living in that space. And so I, I really love that, that quote
1: beautiful thank you both you're incredible thank you for the work you're doing in the world thank you for coming on the pod and sharing a little kind of like window glimpse into both of your lives and but also the work you're doing so enormous gratitude
3: thank you thank
2: you enormous gratitude to you both we really appreciate it super amazing
0: to connect with y'all yeah yeah and thank you for your perseverance this is what third or fourth time trying to record so just like
1: i know i thought you were going to give a quote around perseverance i did i was like oh it's going to be a perseverance persistence persistence (laughs) keep on keeping on as billy Bragg says you know all right take care folks thanks for listening